Jesus is not separate from God. Jesus is the fullness of divinity in his bodily form because of who he is. He is the fullness of who God is. There is none other beside him. You can't go looking for another God because there is no other God. God's name is Jesus and he is fully exposed everywhere in the Bible. You can't go to any place in the text and not find Jesus because everything in the Old Testament points to him. Everything in the Gospels is him written down and everything in the letters to the church all the way through the book of Revelation, even the maps point right back to him. Amen. So what we're trying to do is so we can have a better understanding of who our God is. We are learning how to expose him and say, why is it important to know who our God is? And why are you taking this time? Because when we know who God is, we can better understand who we are. There's a lot of people in the world today who don't know who they are. They're confused. They're hurting. They're trying to find identity. They're grasping at straws. They're looking to entertainers. They're looking to influencers. They're looking to politicians. They're even looking to religion to try to figure out who they are. But the reality is this. You cannot know yourself until you first know your God. And so what I'm wanting to do is show you that throughout the Bible, regardless of what is going on, you can always see Jesus there. We started off in creation, then we went to the fall of humanity, and then last Sunday we started the theme of rescue. Everybody say rescue. And if you need a title today, I'm just simply titling this Finding Favor. Everybody say finding favor. And we started last Sunday diving into the story of Noah. And most people only know Noah because of the, the ark, right? And, and he was the zookeeper that had the floating zoo and he floated around on the water for a long time. It sounds like a fantastical story. It may or may not be true in society's viewpoint. Noah's just another old tip. No, but here's the deal. Noah himself, by the way, it is a very real story. It really happened exactly how it's described in the Bible. And Noah is not just some random figure from the ancient world. Noah is literally a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And last week we learned that Noah's name means rest. And he points directly to the rest that only comes through Jesus. And today we're, we're diving into a little bit of Noah's story. Because there's a lot about him that has nothing to do with building a boat. We learned about his heritage and his ancestry last week. And now today we're going to learn a little bit more about what made him special in God's eyes. In reading this text, if, you are, if you're someone who likes to study the Bible, which, by the way, if you don't like to study the Bible, you came to the wrong church because we do everything we do through the lens of the Bible. When reading this scripture, let me just go ahead and tell you, this is an extremely controversial scripture. In fact, if you don't mind, Eden, if you could put that back on the screen, put uh, verses 1 to 3. The very, the very first scripture there that talks about it. You can read this and just see, like, already this is a little different. I'm not used to reading this. I'm not used to seeing this because people don't spend a lot of time talking about the divine beings who saw how beautiful the daughters of men were and took wives. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what are these divine beings so here's what I want to do. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I want to define this for you. Divine beings in this text can be defined according to the Bible as sons of God, angels, rulers, or influencers. Notice that God is not capitalized here because is not directly talking about sons of the almighty God. 
This is more of a phrase that is referencing something. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I talked to five different men of God who I have deep respect for this week because I wanted to get their viewpoint. I, I first called my dad. My dad knows more about the Bible than I will ever know. In fact, he's probably forgotten more about the Bible than I will ever discover. I called him, and he was like, call your brother. He's <laughs> like, thanks, Dad. Happy Father's Day to you, too. <laughs> But that's what I love about my dad. He's like, where the Bible is silent, I'm not going to insert my opinion. I, I love that about my dad. And so I called my brother, who is extremely smart. As my sister's here, she can back me up on this. He is the most angelic of all my mom's children. He is the living embodiment of God himself. He has never done anything wrong. They bottle his sweat and sell it on the streets of Paris. He is the holy righteous one. Anybody got a, a sibling like that? If you don't, you're probably the one in all your families talking about you right now. <laughs> I called him and like he, I, I guess I like tapped into something that my brother really loved. He sent me like a flipping book. Like my phone got hot just trying to read all the stuff. I'm like, bro, calm down. I reached out to Pastor Luke. Hey, what do you think about this? I reached out to a couple other pastor friends, and it was really interesting. Out of the five or so people I reached out to, I got five different viewpoints on this. And I also have my own viewpoint based on what I've studied and what I've read. Bottom line, it does not matter who divine beings are. You can go study that. Knock yourself out. It has nothing to do with salvation. But I have to talk about it because there are people right now that are thinking, well, is he going to talk about this? I'm probably not going to talk about that. Because it doesn't really matter. I don't want to talk about who these fellows were. I want to talk about what they did. Is that cool? Because there's a lot of things that we can learn and we can see Jesus exposed through things that they did. Because what these guys did was not something to celebrate. What these individuals, regardless of what their background was, whether they were descendants directly from God, whether they were the first descendants of Adam, whether they were the mud people. By the way, those are just three of the ideas that float out there. Y'all didn't even know there was mud people even talked about, right? I'm pretty sure they weren't mud people. But there, there are things that are out. It does not matter where they came from. What they did was introduce depravity into the world. And even in the middle of all this, we can still see Jesus fully exposed. Like, why are you talking about this? Because I want somebody to hear me. The world that we live in is filled with chaos. The world that we live in is filled with people who are hurting. There are people that are living a depraved existence. No matter where we turn, we can see that society is falling apart. Even in the middle of this, it's easy to lose your faith, but don't lose faith because Jesus said, I have already overcome the world. In the middle of your chaos, you can still find your Jesus. Amen? Praise God. So what did these men do? If we're not going to talk about who they were, what did they do? And it's really important to, do, to, to examine this because our actions, everybody say, my actions determine our legacy. We talk about legacy a lot at NOLA Church. What is legacy? Legacy is what we leave behind. There is this notion in Christianity that I don't want to leave a legacy. That's not godly. I know there was a song that was written a few years ago that made it to the top of the K-Love charts. That ought to be the first indication that you shouldn't listen to it because if it's making it on K-Love, it's probably not real good. I'm just saying. 
That was a joke. Don't, don't lose your cookies over that. That was just a joke. Total joke. You like Christian elevator music, knock yourself out. But this song made it to the charts that said, I don't want to leave a legacy. That is completely opposite of what we see in the word of God. Now, I get the idea. I don't want to draw attention to myself with my life. I actually understand that. That makes sense. But you and I better be leaving something behind that connects people who don't even know us to Jesus because of where we've walked. That's what a biblical, that is what a godly legacy is. And our actions directly determine our legacy. So I want to examine a couple of phrases here. We're going to do a little Bible study. Is that okay? We've already looked into what divine being is. I want to look at another phrase from this passage of scripture where it said, took wives. This phrase, took wives, literally means this, to forcibly take, to rape, to overwhelm, and also to confine. You start to get a picture of what these individuals did. Again, it doesn't matter where they came from. It matters what they did. These men who were individuals who had influence. They had responsibility. They took something that did not belong to them. They possessed something that was not theirs to possess. Y'all heard how the air just kind of got sucked out of the room real quick? It's because this is starting to touch home with a lot of us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. In fact, I'm not even wanting you to acknowledge this in any way, but I want you to hear me. You are probably here, either watching online or in the theater this morning, and something that belongs to you or something that is precious to you has been taken, and it could be damaging you today. Maybe it was your innocence. Maybe it was your virginity. Maybe it was a God promise that was given to you that the enemy came in and took. Maybe it was something that was left to infect you with bad character and somebody forced it on you. I want you to hear me today. That is not of God, but God is not damaged by what has happened to you. And neither are you. The enemy wants you to think that you're less than because something has happened to you. But hear the words of your God this morning. You are my masterpiece. You are the apple of my eye. And if you make your bed in heaven or if you make your bed in the pits of hell, I will still be there with you. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from me. Isn't somebody thankful for that this morning? Let's take about 15 seconds and just thank our God for that. So these individuals, these divine beings, these influencers... They took possession of something that didn't belong to them. Another way to put this is the, these individuals acted in self-deception. What, what does this mean? It means they had no regard for the women that they were taking advantage of. They didn't care about them. These women were nothing more than either a possession or a means to an end for them. They did not care about the individual. They just said, you have what I want and I'm going to take it whether you like it. Or not. They objectified the women. They saw them as something to possess rather than someone to be in relationship with. Let me just drop this on you right here. Acting on our banal exist instincts reduces other people to objects of our own perverted lust. When you and I act on the basis part of our nature, we're reducing someone that is to something that is nothing more than just an object of our perverted lust. 
And this is not something that just bumps one or two people. One of the largest industries in the world today is pornography. And it is fed by one of the other largest industries of the world, which is human trafficking. People say, oh, slavery ended at the end of the Civil War. No, it just changed direction. It changed the object of enslavement. By the way, I'm so thankful Far too long we've been waiting on this. I'm so glad that yesterday we got to celebrate the full emancipation of an entire population of our country. I'm thankful for that. By the way, that's not a political statement. That's a celebration of who our God is. Praise God. I'm just I'm thankful for that. thought I'd drop that in there. But there's entire industries of the world that want to objectify people. That's why pornography runs so rampant. And hey, it's not just in guys, it's guys and, and ladies as well. And it is reaching for teenagers and it's capturing them at a very young age because it's extremely addictive, but it is objectification. And it is the basis of our actions. It's almost like an animalistic urge. I want it and I'm going to control everything I can to put myself in the position to enjoy this. This is the legacy that was being left by these individuals who had responsibility. Again, regardless of where they came from, regardless of who their father was, regardless of what their backstory was, their origin story, their actions determined their legacy. Their legacy was rape and incest. And while there's a lot of variant views on where they came from, 99.99% of the really, really smart people who help us understand the word of God agree that the offspring that was produced by these individuals no longer resembled the image and the likeness of God. Because when perversion is the pathway, the legacy that is left no longer resembles the giver of life. What results is hurt and pain and chaos. And hear me today. I thought it was Father's Day. Yeah, we, we celebrated. Y'all got grills and an impact driver. Not just a drill set. That was an impact driver. Like she bought me a Ryobi one. You got like the real thing. You got the man's tool. Y'all, when we live in self-deception, we objectify everyone else around us. I would never do that. If you're living in a place of self-deception, you're doing it whether you understand it or not. You say, what are you talking about? Here's the deal. If you don't know who God is, you can't know who you are. And every action you take towards someone else from that point forward is through the lens of the deception that lives with inside of you. Does that mean I'm lost? No, that means you might be confused. You may have received the free gift of salvation, but you don't know how to live in relationship with other people. Let's assume for a second that these divine beings are, are directly from God. These divine beings being directly from God were moved by lust and began to do something that was horrible. It does not matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter what your position in the church is. It's very easy to slip into self-deception when you start seeing yourself as your source instead of seeing your God as the beginning and the ending of your life. And hear me on this, whatever is produced from self-deception is a direct affront on the identity of God. 
when we produce something through self-deception, it's like we're standing in front of God and we're giving him the middle finger. Because when we bump the identity of God, we're saying you're not God enough. I better fill in the gaps that you're missing, oh great almighty one. Our responsibility as image bearers is to be fruitful and multiply him, not our lust. And by the way, while we're talking about lust, I'm not just talking about sexual lust. We all get that one. I'm talking about a lust for money. I'm talking about a lust for power. I'm talking about a lust for celebrity. Lust expresses itself in a lot of different ways. It's not just about sex. What about a lust for work? It's feeding our pride. That's okay this morning? Y'all still like me? It's Father's Day. We're going to get out in a second. Y'all still like me? Self-deception skews the identity of the image bearers from the true image who is Jesus. Anytime what we produce doesn't resemble God, we're not living in our responsibility. What are you displaying to the world around you? Oh, I live in grace. Do you? Do you have power over sin? Or are you just doing whatever you want and saying it's okay? Because grace isn't licensed to live however you want. Grace is the power to live free from the bondage of sin and the slavery of sin every day. Praise God. Hear me on this. When we remove his image, which is his identity from our legacy, God chooses to no longer empower us or enable us with his presence. I don't feel like God is moving in my life. Who is the biggest image in your life? Because if God is not moving in your life, it could be that everything in your life is focused on you. Everything I touch seems to fall apart. Everything I get involved in seems to be chaotic. Are you building a kingdom around yourself or are you building a kingdom that points toward Jesus? Because when we remove him, chaos ensues. Chasing lust separates us from life. What is life? It is eternal relationship with the giver of life. And when we chase lust, whether it's sexual, financial, influence, celebrity, anything that appeals to our pride, when we chase that lust, we literally remove ourselves from abundant life. Jesus says, I haven't come that, that you might just have life. I want you to have a more abundant life. I didn't come to kill, steal, or destroy. That's what the enemy does. But I came that you may have life that is more abundant than anything you could ever imagine. In fact, he said it goes beyond anything you can ever ask or even think. I don't know about y'all, but I have a very, very active imagination. I grew up in a home that didn't have TV. My imagination works. I can think some stuff and God's like, yeah, I got you. I already thought of that before you ever got there. Still waiting on my self-tying shoes, Jesus, but it'll happen at one point. Let's look at verse four of Genesis six. That's okay this morning? You feel like you're learning something? Look at your neighbor and say, hmm, that's good. Genesis 6 and 4, here's what it says. It was then 
and later, meaning this happened pre-flood and this also happens again post-flood. It was then and later. So we're not just talking about something that happened in the ancient. This is something that the world still battles with. It's what this scripture is letting us know. It was then and later too that the Nephilim appeared on the earth. What is, what is that? I ain't never heard that, nerd, that, that word. When the divine beings cohabitated, they had sex. With the daughters of men who bore them offspring. Again, it doesn't matter who these people were. You want to have that discussion, let's go grab some coffee because it does not matter to your salvation. We just know that they did it before the flood and it happened again after the flood. I would submit to you that it is still happening today. They're cohabitating with people who don't know any better and they bore offspring. They produced something. And what they produced is this the heroes of old, the men of renown. So who are these Nephilim? The Nephilim are giants, but their name also means inferior. Their name also means fallen. So my little peanut brain gets to go in here because I'm not super smart. I say big words, but that's because they're written down in my notes. And I'll even make up a word on you if you ain't careful. I'll make it even sound smart. Like, yeah. But last I checked, something cannot be a giant and inferior at the same time. That seems like a contradiction, right? But let's dive into this and see what... Their actions of these individuals show that these are individuals, these Nephilim who existed before the flood and also continue to exist even now had influence and stature above the people around them. Most of the ancient sages would agree that this doesn't necessarily mean that they were taller than everybody else. That's where our mind goes. That, that may have been the case. It doesn't really matter if it was or wasn't. But what we begin to see is that they had influence on everybody else around them. But their actions did not display responsible influence. Their actions displayed an animalistic lust. They got puffed up with their position. They begin to live in what we would call a fallen nature. And hear me on this, inferior character produces inferior actions. Inferior character produces inferior actions. They're good people, they just can't get it right. No, they are living in a fallen state because they don't know who their God is, so they don't know who they are, so therefore nothing they produce is what should be produced. But look again at the end of verse 4. And this is what intrigued me this week. This intrigued me because I, I don't know that I'd ever really seen this at this level. They, meaning not only the men who took advantage of the, the women and, and raped them, but also the offspring that they produced were the heroes of old, the men of renown. That's what the word of God says. These were the heroes. The world around them saw what they did, yet still looked at them as they were heroic. And I got to thinking, these fallen giants were heroes? These rapists were influencers? 
These objectifiers were role models. Sounds a lot like the world that we live in today. Man, it got thick. We look to everything else but the giver of life to determine our worth. We pattern our lifestyles off of self-proclaimed influencers on social media and when they fall, we cry about it. And I don't wish depravity on anybody. That's not what I'm saying. But we follow their pattern and then we get offended when they stumble because we place them in a position of influence even though they are robbing life directly from us. And we've put them into a position of influence in our life. Happens with entertainers. I don't like what they did, but man, their music was good. And by the way, don't think that's just in secular music. The same thing happens in the, in the Christian genre as well. Entertainers are nothing more than entertainers. They're not anointed just because they can sing. Somebody hear me. You ought to be careful when you allow your life to be determined by influencers when you don't know their background in God. The Bible says judge them by their fruit. What does that mean? Measure their connection to God by what their life produces. This okay this morning? Y'all still love me? By the way, I'm, I'm speaking to fathers today. <laughs> their actions resulted in God making a huge decision. God said, your life is producing a legacy and I'm being forced to make a decision and here's my decision. My breath is not going to abide with you forever. Somebody hear me. The choices that you and I make, every individual determine how long God will stay in connection with us. Pastor, you're, you're preaching a heavy gospel. No, I'm preaching the gospel. Because he says, if you don't want me, I'm going to let you follow your choice. But if you want my influence in your life, just invite me in and I'll breathe my spirit into your situation and I can empower you to get past the depravity and the chaos that surrounds you. Let's look at verse 5 to 6. The Lord saw how great was man's wickedness on the earth and how every plan devised by his mind was nothing but evil all the time. And the Lord, notice this, the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth. Like, we're supposed to be celebrating dads. And you're talking about God regretting making us. But notice the end of verse 6. His heart was saddened. Being real, I have never read that and it connected with my brain until this week. Just being transparent, I love the story of Noah's Ark. If you've been in any amount of teaching with me, you know I talk about the Ark all the time. But I have always mistakenly taken the view that the flood was God's judgment on the earth. I've taught that. I've preached it. I was taught that. I learned this in seminary. I have learned this. I have been preconditioned to this notion and I have passed this notion on. But that's not what the Bible says. When God saw what was happening in humanity, he wasn't mad. His heart was broken. Somebody hear me. 
You've been living a life surrounded by chaos and you think God is mad at you, but he's not. His heart is breaking for you and he is reaching for you with an arm of compassion saying, you're living in chaos. Let me bring rest to you. Let me bring rescue to your hurt. What we see here in this text is that God saw humanity chasing chaos, chasing a nature that wasn't his image. And everything that humanity produced was more and more evil. It kept getting worse and worse and wor worser and worser. And the Bible says that humanity, humanity's actions broke his heart. So what is his heart? What is his heart? How do you break God's heart? The heart here in this context literally means this, the soul, the character, the core. God was, oh, you're, you're my image bearer, but you're chasing something that is nothing like me. Oh, God. You know it's rough when God says, oh, God. But notice what he says there. By the way, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Notice what the Bible says that he regretted. What, what does the word regretted means? The word regretted means this, to repent, to be moved with compassion, to have pity, or to be sorry. I don't see judgment anywhere in there. I see a broken heart saying, I just want to heal you. I just want to bring peace to your hurt. I just want to bring peace and comfort to your chaos. When God sees his image bearers chasing an image that's not him, he's moved with compassion. He looks at us and he says, I didn't create you that way. In fact, when I saw you, the words that came out of my mouth were not, oh, they're going to mess up at one point. The Bible says that when he saw us, y'all remember a few weeks ago when we dived into this, he looked at his, his creation, his image bearers, and he says, this is very tov. Tov is the Hebrew word good. But it doesn't just mean good. It means will accomplish that which I designed it to accomplish. When God looked at humanity, his image bearers, he said, that will accomplish exactly what I designed it to do. And now he's sitting here seeing humanity, that thing that said, he said, you can bear my image. He said, you're chasing something else. And I'm not mad at you. My heart is broken and I'm being moved with compassion. And when we stumble, somebody hear me today. Last I checked, we're all human in this room. Even us saved folks are still human. And sometimes we stumble. You don't have to raise your hand, but somebody know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we fall. The Bible says even a person standing perfectly in relationship with God is going to completely fall away. Somebody hear me. It does not matter how many times you stumble. It doesn't even matter if you crash and burn. 
And you look around and all you see is the chaos that is the result of the choice that you made. It does not matter at this point because God is not mad at you. His heart is grieving for you. And he's continuing to reach for you. And in this moment, this is where we see Jesus exposed in our story. I just got to say, stay with me for the next few minutes. I'm going to close this down. But God's already speaking to somebody's heart right now. God's already speaking because somebody in this room is already remembering the choices that you've made. And the enemy lied to you and said that you're worthless and that God doesn't care. But I want you to hear me. God is not angry at you because you stumbled. He loves you. And he's reaching for you. Say, Pastor, how do you know this? Because in the middle of all of this depravity, we have verse 8 of Genesis 6, and it says this, but Noah found favor with the Lord. I love the way the King James puts this, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the middle of depravity, in the middle of horrible, chaotic society, in the middle of whatever was taking advantage of these women, in the middle of all this horrible stuff being produced in the world, there was an individual whose name literally meant rest, who as a person was pointing forward to who Jesus was going to be. And in the middle of this, this individual stands tall in the middle of the depravity and finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. When God looked around, he didn't see all the horrible things that were happening. His heart breaks and he says, I've got to find a point of rescue. And the Bible tells us that he sees Noah. Hear me. It doesn't matter how much you've been hurt. It does not matter what has been done to you. And it does not matter what you've done to other people or even yourself. When you surrender to his identity, he sees you in the middle of the chaos. And he's not disappointed. His broken heart says, I can bring you healing. Isn't this good today? His broken heart says, yeah, you stumbled. But where sin abounded, my grace did that much more abound what does favor mean hear me I'm going to touch society right now because we live in a society that is clamoring for acceptance our society wants acceptance so bad that we're even trying to legislate what people think by the way it's an exercise in futility it doesn't matter if these are good or bad people you cannot pass a law that changes how someone thinks because it's unenforceable, so it's a waste of time. But the whole reason we're clamoring for this is we want acceptance. Accept me for who I am. Accept me for my proclivities. Accept me for how I see myself. Accept me for my viewpoints. And humanity is reaching, saying, please accept me because I'm hurting and I'm broken. And I'm living in a chaotic world and I just want someone to see me. And we look at other fallen humanity saying, can you see me? Please see me. 
Yeah, I know sometimes it comes across arrogant, but on the inside, it's a broken heart saying, just see me in the middle of my chaos. But hear me today on this Sunday, this Father's Day 2021, no one else can see you through the lens of their chaos. Because the only one who can accept you is the one who created you. And he is here today extending grace. And he's here today extending his favor saying, I accept you just the way you are. I know you're hurting, but I can heal that. I know you've stumbled, but I can give you strength in your stumbling. I know that you have bad ideas, but that's why I gave you my word. So you, your mind can be renewed by the transforming that takes place when you renew your mind in me. And I know you're carrying a burden, a false identity, but take my yoke upon you and learn of me because the burden that I give you is easy and it's light. Doesn't matter what your story has been. He's standing here today saying, my grace is forever extended to you. Judgment said to eradicate humanity from creation. But the rest, Noah, open the door and said, come into the ark. Don't jump too far in the story. Just see what Noah was doing. Hey, the door is open. Doesn't matter what you've done. Whosoever will. Man, I wish people would get their stuff together before they came to church. I, I hope they don't. I don't ever want to get to the point where this church doesn't have the stench of sin when people walk in because I want sinners to know you can always come to this house and find a loving, graceful God who will save you no matter what your circumstance is, where you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost and receive His power, where you can be buried in the name of Jesus and come back having dealt with your past. 